Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. I'm Josh Evans. And in a surprising change of pace, no one is talking about any space content. On today's episode, Josh misidentifies a water treatment bioindicator as some kind of sex toy, and then I set him straight with true facts about helpful Polish clams. And then we log into the world of internet horror with the uncrackable password 12346-9420 as Josh discusses one of the rare gems of the found footage genre. You'll want to cover your webcams after watching this movie, The Den. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett, <laughs> how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, just told you this before the show, but I bought some land, so that's exciting. Congrats, man. Yeah, you didn't tell Thanks. me any details, though, so should lay well, it on me now. It's about five acres. There's some great mountain views. It's in a place called Ridgeway. I think the locals pronounce it Ridgeway, but it's out here and <laughs> outside of Telluride. Stupid there's no, locals. There's no E in Ridge, so it could be Ridgeway. Not 100% Maybe they're just sure. bad at spelling out there. It's possible. Way way. It's very possible. So what are you guys planning on building a house out there? Uh, it, it all depends on uh, on uh, whether or not game stonks go to the moon or not, because <laughs> otherwise we, we have no money to uh, build a house for maybe a long time. But I might cut down a couple Still trees. Still fully and we can, invested. We can put our trailer there. So Yeah, just do it like the pilgrims did. The... Uh, <laughs> The views looked pretty amazing from there, uh, yeah, from the pics you sent. You got like crazy long distance mountain views. Yeah, no, it's beautiful for sure. What are you up to? How are you doing? I'm doing good. We're just uh, riding out what could only be described as the weakest apocalyptic snowstorm that's ever happened. Is it's it not about, starting tonight? Yeah, I don't know. It snowed about an inch today. It was pretty weak. Um Really uh, got my fingers crossed for it to go crazy overnight so we can uh, build some snow forts, but I'm not counting on it. Well, that kind of puts a little damper on the one-wheeling. I busted out probably 30 miles this week before uh, the apocalypse started. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I was really anticipating it. We got a little bit of snow, but it was nothing. I mean, it was pretty heavy and wet, but it was just over in a couple hours. Yeah, it seems kind of like we're going to get some, uh, we might get a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to shut down the whole city like they were saying. But we'll see when this comes out next week. Maybe I'll be proved wrong. Actually, speaking of being uh, proven wrong, I did want to make one correction to our show notes this week. Um, When uh, Brett prepared our show notes from the the show last (laughs) week, he said that I was a world champion skydiver, and I just wanted to let everybody know that is not true. I'm not making false advertisement claims on this uh, only a national champion in skydiving and world's most humble man. That I guess you could say that is a world. That's a world record. Uh, well, contentologist too. That's a world uh, championship title as well. World renowned in this <laughs> field that we created. Well, thanks for that correction. I better get online and uh, delete every nice thing I've ever said about you because it's all a lie. <laughs> it's. Well, actually, I yeah. do. By the way, I do have some fan mail from our uh, one of our super fans, DV. Also, one of our 
or well, one of my favorite people. I can't speak for both of us, but he's one of my favorite people. Yeah, he's great. I'd love to hear what he says. Yeah, lay it on so, us, man. <clears throat> so he had texted us and said he um, couldn't really finish Kingdom because of uh, episode eight, I believe it was. We mentioned it on, I think, one of our social media posts. But anyway, he wrote us an email. He said, Josh and Brett, I shouldn't have doubted you. <laughs> Off to a good start here. <laughs> I almost gave up on Kingdom in the first season after watching based on your podcast. Just finished season three now. Any thoughts on the new series, Debris? Has Jonathan Tucker from Kingdom in it? Also, have you had time to watch Warriors? Has Frank Grillo in the same role he plays in Kingdom? Lastly, I really enjoyed hearing your recollections and thoughts on the FITP uh, keep up the great work. So DV was a, uh, what would the title be? An examiner with the international yeah, body flight association, a trainer. So, I mean, he had, he was capable of, um, making instructors, throwing all those spots that we talked about, uh, conducting safety meetings, uh, you know, beating, beating us up basically that we talked about last week on the show in the wind tunnel. Um, well, thank you for the email, DV. I have not seen Debris or Warriors, but I will definitely add it to my content circuit for sure. I've seen previews for Debris, and I love Jonathan Tucker, so that's definitely going to be something I'm checking out. Haven't seen Warriors. I've talked to DV about it, and uh, it definitely sounds amazing and right up my alley because I love Kingdom. So, again, definitely on my content circuit. And, yes, DV, thank you for beating us up so much. It really <laughs> made us respect you. <laughs> And also, you are correct. You should never doubt us. Uh, so you heard it here first on the Content Clearing House. We are infallible other than that world championship um, faux pas that we that we made last week in the show notes. Other than that most recent failure, we're infallible. It's science. Brett, <laughs> so, yeah. what do you have for off top? I'm pretty excited about this. Um, so there's actually, I had like three really good off tops. Uh, I should say off top topics. And I couldn't really decide what to bring to you, so I asked my wife, and she made the decision for me. So today, I'm talking about Polish clams. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some words I never thought I'd hear you say. Okay, so let me text you this picture. And, All right, let's uh, see this thing. I'm, I want to get your uh, reaction live here. All right. So Bretta sent me a picture. Of, it looks like maybe a... It's a clam with little dollop of goo on its back. <laughs> it's got a spring coming out of it. And it almost looks like a little sex toy hanging off the end of it. <laughs> Brett, what are you showing me? So This will definitely need to be shared in the show yeah, notes. This, this looks like a, a homemade contraption that you would want to hide when company comes over. <laughs> Well, let me explain. So there is a city. <laughs> I'm about to blow your mind, guy. You don't even know. So there's a there's a city in Poland. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Poznan. Uh, so they, they employ some pretty unique methods that uh, before a few days ago did not know that this exists at all. But this is to ensure their residents have safe drinking water. So there's eight clams that monitor the water quality and literally decide if people that live in that city will get that water or not. So these, this is a living clam, this image you sent me. This is a living clam, correct. Interesting. And they are, so, in, they are in charge of the water supply. You know, now that I'm looking at it, I can see that it does appear to be underwater. This little, there's a little black post sitting in front of the, 
the unicorn sex toy coming off the back of the clam. <laughs> and uh, it's covered with bubbles. It's like it's in an aquarium. So it's like as the clam opens and closes or something, does it complete a circuit or something along exactly. those lines? It's a sensor. Yeah, it's it's basically just an apparatus attached to a clam. And that clam is controlling the the uh, a sensor. There's eight of these clams. Now, uh, it's pretty interesting. So these, uh, these mollusks, uh, these clams, uh, have quite a bit of responsibility. Now, it isn't like one of these Polish clams can cut off the entire water supply. Uh, and keep in mind, this is this city that employs these clams. Uh, this is the fifth largest city in Poland with a population of over 500,000 people. So... This is pretty serious stuff, um, but it, it doesn't take one clam, doesn't take two. It actually, it's a bit of a clam quorum. There are, uh, <laughs> as I indicated, there's eight of these clams in total. They're they're being used as bio indicators. If one of them closes, it will send an alert to the water treatment plant uh, that houses these clams. But it takes four clams, so f- a total of four of these eight clams shutting simultaneously will actually turn off the water automatically. These clams are in charge of the water. Oh my god. So what are they uh, what are they sensing for? D- do clams have some sort of like contaminant filters or something that's built exa- into their little slime bodies? That's exactly <laughs> that's <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what they're they're uh, detecting. It's it's the water's overall toxicity. So that what's really interesting about this is um, and my source for this article or, or my source for this information is this article on zmescience.com. I'm going to share it in the show notes, obviously. Um, but something that I was pretty amazed by: these things are actually more reliable of the water's overall toxicity than the artificial systems that take very precise measurements of chemical contamination, because they account for a broad range of factors simultaneously. So now, I mean, now that I've explained this, you can obviously see what's going on in that picture. These clams sense toxicity in the water. They close. The sensor sends an alert. Four of them do it at the same time. It's game over for the water supply. Um, and let's see. There was something else I wanted to tell you about this. Oh, the last thing I want to I want to mention. So after three months these clams do start to become insensitive to pollution and then they are released back into the wild. So they're not, they're not, uh, you know, it's not a lifetime of servitude for these guys. I thought you were going to say they'd take them out behind the, <laughs> yeah. the water purification Shuck plant and have them shot. <laughs> Just uh, grill them or roast them. Thank you for you... your service. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was a pretty interesting little, little factoid. I definitely encourage you to, you know, we'll we'll share that picture on social media because it's just kind of funny. It's kind of interesting, uh, but the article is super interesting. I mean, it literally it's like scientists harnessing Mother Nature uh, because they can do a better job at detecting something. I mean, we've all heard of the canary down the mine, right? I mean, this is obviously um, much less animal cruelty and uh, seems to be much more effective, and it's just kind of kind of wacky. Especially since they don't use my retirement method, so much yeah. less cruel than taking the canary down the mine. It's it's really interesting, though, because a lot of the systems that we use in this world seem like they are things that we have engineered to perform abilities that nature has already evolved. And this is just like, it's interesting that it's more reliable than 
all of the human technology and sensors that we've built. And it makes sense because it's like, you know, natural selection has certainly selected this ability in clams and the ones that were best at detecting pollutants and contaminants were, you know, the ones that, I don't even want to think about it, but however clams breed, they were the ones that were getting all the clam babes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's one something that you, um, brought up about nature evolving in a specific way and then we sort of emulate it i think about this with solar energy a lot i mean it's it has got to be uh probably one of the better sources of energy eventually when we kind of perfect things because nature has already kind of figured out that is it is a super readily available source of energy um and it's like the basic foundation for all living things is sunlight So, I don't know. That just kind of clicked in my head when you mentioned that. I mean, it literally powers the entire planet. Like, we don't think about it powering this planet because we have, like, a a different set of needs when it comes to power. But, you know, our technology is definitely moving that way. And with something I thought about, I don't know if this even exists. It was just a thought that occurred to me today. I was watching a documentary about Big Sur, and they were talking about how as the – as the cool air comes in off of the ocean and meets like the warm air of land, it it creates all this condensation from the ocean and this like marine layer of mist moves inland. And then this mist is collected by the redwoods. And it said that they literally pull thousands of gallons of water out of this mist a day and use it to feed the forest. And I was wondering if, you know, like that idea is something that has been played with as a way to, extract more water from this world because you know they say that whatever 50 years all the wars will be fought over water and you know that's that definitely seems like the kind of thing that human ingenuity would invent a device that would eventually be able to condense water out of mist from the air you know nature's already doing that nature's doing that with the redwood forest and that that it's interesting that you brought something like this today because i was just i just had that kind of random thought off my head today and uh, this is like exactly along those lines using nature in a technological way maybe we can dangle clams from the treetops to now you're thinking capture (laughs) well that's all i got for the off top um i am curious what you got in your content circuit because i have one good thing for you that you'll be excited by i've actually got two things uh the first is uh this was a recommendation by superfan Flip63Hole. This is long before we got Hulu. And uh, he said that you need to get Hulu and you need to watch Devs. I which knew you were going to say it. I knew you were going to say it Devs. Yet? No, I really want to. Dude, Brett, this is... He was right. This is definitely like a flagship show on Hulu. And it also brought to my attention... You're like a Parks and Rec guy, right? Mm-hmm. So I never watched Parks and Rec, but this is how stupid I I am. I didn't know that Ron Swanson was a character. I thought Ron Swanson was the guy. (laughs) I'm serious because I've seen all these Ron Swanson characters. Yeah, but some characters are so iconic that they they almost become real. And Ron Swanson is one of those characters for sure. I thought Ron Swanson was the actor. And I'm a contentologist. This is not good for my my credentials, but... uh, Nick Offerman is in devs. He's like the, 
he's like the tech guru guy that owns this uh, this billion dollar tech company in San Francisco. And I, w- I was like, man, who is this actor? This guy is like very unsettling and interesting. He has a way about him. I looked him up. It's like, oh, it's Nick Offerman. And then, uh, you know, I, I was looking at his IMDb like, oh, he's Ron Swanson. Oh, God, I'm an idiot. So then I just went on a, a Ron Swanson quote rabbit hole today, which was really funny. I realized I should be watching Parks and Rec. It looks hilarious. Oh, it's a great show. I, I It's been on my uh, list to talk about um, for the podcast. Maybe I'll do it next week. It's one of those ones that I've seen, you know, probably three or four times, like all the seasons. Um, I You know, it's I can almost like quote some of the, you know, best – best lines best show. it's just one of those i'm obsessed with it for sure it's could probably show. write that outline without even doing any research it's very possible <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was one devs i'm uh i'm on season four or uh episode four it's so good brett you got to watch it everybody that's watching the show if you don't have hulu get hulu all right let's do best it. content worst interface <laughs> but also yeah uh i've been on a horror kick lately and uh i watched maybe 15 hours of content in this universe. Uh, have you ever seen any of the Wolf Creek movies? I have not. That doesn't ring a bell at all. Wolf Creek? So, so Wolf Creek is a, it's an Australian horror series, and it's got what is quite possibly, in my mind, the most terrifying horror villain of all time. Uh, Mick Taylor, he's, like this, he's basically like this anti-Crocodile Dundee. He's just like a, he's like a human predator. And uh, so there's Wolf Creek, there's Wolf Creek 2, the two films. And then there's also a television series, uh, season one and two. And season two is, it's maybe like one of the most unsettling horror things I've ever seen. And it is highly recommended. And the guy that plays Mick Taylor, his name is John Jarrett, he is... He, he like fully embodies the role. He's like the Ron Swanson of horror where you think Mick Taylor is the guy. It's like, Oh, I didn't realize this guy was even acting. And John Jarrett said that after Wolf Creek, his performance was so convincing that he actually had trouble getting work for like eight years or something. He ended up getting a, a small part in, in Django Unchained because Quentin Tarantino was so impressed with his performance. But now uh, Greg McLean, who's the creator of Wolf Creek he has spun it out into the TV show, and I think there might be a third movie in the works. So it seems like uh, John Jarrett's getting like inundated with work now because his portrayal of Mick Taylor is just so good. So if you're into horror, that's another good recommendation. And uh, I think I think you probably get a hold of some of that on uh, Prime. I think that probably the cool. Wolf Creek Two is available on Prime. I believe that sounds that sounds amazing. Well, I. Uh... I am one to take suggestions from you because what I have on my content circuit, Operation Odessa. Oh man, that was did fantastic. you watch it? Fantastic, yeah, so good, right? These guys are living the life, man. Just yeah, chartering the Antonov An twelve or whatever the heck it is that gigantic jet, so they can fly their helicopters back and do some shopping for a submarine. Unbelievable, loved it. And it's crazy how much just like they're. Bold, their boldness did for them like how many doors it opened just by the sheer fact that they were like oh i'm willing to go over to russia and see if i can buy a submarine why not you know it's just like 
just things that a normal person would never even consider to be an option. Those guys were like, eh, we might as well. Yeah. Go to Colombia, pretend to be Pablo Escobar. Oh, man. Bail your buddy <laughs> it's like out. One of the craziest parts of the whole story. <laughs> to what's interesting, like, Tarzan seems like so genuine and like friendly. Like, he seems nice. Yeah, he seems like an uh, amazing guy, actually. Like, <laughs> if he wasn't this like crazy criminal, you'd definitely want to hang out with him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Seems very, he seems like a kind hearted uh, international criminal. Well, I, um, I'll definitely check out Devs. I'll definitely check out Wolf Creek uh, because your uh, content circuit, I just, you know, photocopied it into my own life and uh, yes. you did not disappoint. As well, always. if the show's working on one person, it's you. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, uh, Josh is going to talk about some more content. Ooh, content. Hello, listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show. So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Clear it out. Welcome back to The Content Clearinghouse. Josh, uh, we've we've talked about Wolf Creek. We've talked about Polish clams. I can't wait <laughs> to hear what you brought for the uh, the piece de resistance. Oh well, Brett, I've got something else scary for you. I told Uh-oh. you I was on a little bit of a horror <laughs> kick. So it's kind of fun to try to sell the idea of an idea that is typically shitty, and the idea that I am uh, kind of interested in right now is found footage, which is almost a swear word in horror these days. I don't know if you watch much found footage horror, uh, but it's kind of become the, it's kind of come to the point where I know I personally just skip over most things that say found footage on them. Do you kind of have that reaction? Not particularly. I mean, I'm not as much of a horror fan as you are. Um, I mean, Blair Witch Project, I guess, would probably be like the quintessential like found footage horror that just like, you know, I think it. I think it's in the Guinness Book of World Records for having um, I, I, the best ratio of like income to budget, or I don't know how you exactly describe that, but it was super low budget, and they raked it all in. Um, Indeed. But I don't know. There was a what's that? J.J. Abrams monster movie that was like kind of a found. Oh, footage. Uh, Cloverfield. Cloverfield. I loved Cloverfield. I thought that good. was I thought that was underrated. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the sequel too with uh, John Goodman. Oh man, yeah, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, that is a fantastic movie. <laughs> it is. Not what I'm talking about today, though. Okay. <laughs> now, see, this show would not be much of a show if I came here and tried to sell you on the idea of like Jaws or something, which is. Everyone knows it's great. So it's, it's got to be a little bit of a challenge. And uh, what I've come here with today, it's kind of like, it makes me think about finding like diamonds in the toilet. And in case okay. you aren't good with analogies, this movie is okay. a diamond and found footage would be the toilet. Because even though you mentioned a, a few great found footage movies, most of them are absolute shit. 
What's what's an example? See, I don't, I can't think of any other like found footage movies off the top of my head. What's an example of like a bad one? I don't know, man. I don't watch okay. bad movies. Yeah, me neither. Those are the ones I skip over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's a lot of trash out there. <laughs> I'm sure there is. We don't talk but, about know, I, the trash on our show, though. I like trying to find something, you know, lame, something lame like reality TV or found footage, and then find like the best thing that has to offer. Because at the top, there really is some pretty great content. Like, there's a reason that these ideas are so played out. It's because at their heart, they really are good ideas. You know, they're ideas that are so good that it's really easy for people to scratch out some success making inferior versions of them. Like, the idea does most of the heavy lifting for you. And that is exactly what happened with Blair Witch Project, like you mentioned. Like, that film brought found footage to us all. And everyone who ripped that idea off, I think, totally missed the point. Like, that movie was not about the format of found footage. It was about marketing in the internet age. Like, the found footage aspect really only existed because, one, it was cheap. And, two, it completely sold the narrative that what you were seeing was real. Right. I found Mm -hmm. a Blair Witch advertising website back in the day that pretty much told the entire backstory with no hint of it being a movie. And they pretty much blanketed the internet with info about this and made it seem like it was something real. And it made you have to go see it because, you know, you, you didn't know what you were going to get. Like I was expecting to see something bordering on a snuff film about these kids disappearing. And what I got was pretty much like the first mainstream found footage movie. Also, I'm a little bit of a sucker and apparently I would have fall, fallen for anything back in the early, uh, late 90s. <laughs> So that might be that might contribute to why I found that so impressive. You know that that is a very interesting point. I do remember I was pretty young when Blair, uh, which, uh, Blair Witch Project came out, but I do remember people like literally asking, like, "Do you think it's real?" Which like sounds so silly now, but I remember people thinking like this was real. Um, it, it reminds me. This might be what you're talking about. I could be wrong, but the, I know there was a. Uh, type of found footage. It's an older movie and it's pretty graphic. It, it, it depicts cannibalism. Cannibal uh, Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust. And so that was a similar concept where the actors actually had to show up in court and yes. reveal that they were alive because it was Ta-da! so... Is this what you're talking about? No, it's not. But okay. you are, you're definitely right. Like that was... I think Cannibal Holocaust was like in the 70s or like early 80s. And yeah, that was that was probably the first found footage anything, but it wasn't mainstream. Like mm-hmm, Blair yeah. Witch, I think is what jumped right. this off into the mainstream and made everyone start copying this format because like you were saying, they made they made that film for like $35,000 and then by the time they were done with the editing process, I think it came out to like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars and they made who knows like 10 quadrillion dollars like the gdp <laughs> was, of i think of it was China. a couple hundred million or something i mean it was yeah like they did very well for their uh you know shoestring budget that's why that is why found footage now is so skippable but the film that i'm talking about today is found footage and it's found footage through internet connected cameras webcams which seems awful but the idea is so terrifying. Like this movie, this is the horror story of our day. This is the horror, uh, the horror of online security penetration. I'm talking about the 2013 horror film, The Den. Have you ever heard of The Den? I don't think I have. 
No. Not many people have. Okay. So the concept of this film, there's a young woman, Elizabeth. She's doing a graduate study into the habits of webcam chat users from the apparent safety of her apartment. While she's on this social media site, which is called The Den, which allows any user to connect instantly with any other user via video, she witnesses this brutal online murder, and she's quickly pulled into this nightmarish world in which she and her loved ones and her friends are targeted for the same grisly fate as this victim that she discovered. So this is this is an American film directed by Zachary Donahue, and it was originally released in December 2013 in Russia, of all places, for some reason. Then it got a, world ri- a worldwide release in March 2014, both with video on demand and with a very limited theatrical run. And needless to say that it is a bit obscure. Like I heard some other hosts on another podcast talking about it, saying that it was one of the best found footage horror movies they'd ever seen. And I'd have to have to agree with that. So most of this film is presented as captured video. It's from computer screens. Like I watched it on my phone lying in bed at night and the effect was very convincing i imagine if i had watched it like on a laptop it would have been even uh, even better you know one of the one of the few times that i would say watching this on a computer or a mobile device is preferable to a big screen and that's not an easy trick to pull off and it makes this movie all the all the more impressive because that is that is something that usually would be like a no-no if you're like a video file or something Yeah, I I hate to say this because I am somebody that has watched (laughs) plenty, uh, lots, lots and lots of entertainment on an iPad or on an iPhone or on my laptop. For I watch almost everything that way. (laughs) I don't have time to sit down in front of the TV. I usually watch stuff while I'm laying in bed at night. But this is like one time where uh it's built for that. It's built exactly for our viewing habits. Well, Quibi could take a page out of. uh, the director's book because they were trying to create content specifically for uh, the mobile device. And then they, I don't know. It, I, do you Wasn't remember that Quibi like vertical all? video and it totally failed? It, yeah. I mean, it could be vertical. It could be horizontal, but then people just hated it. I don't know. I, I had like a week free trial and I was like, yeah, this is stupid. It's probably that terrible name. Quibi. Quibi. Yeah. I think so it's, I I think it's this- already gone. Yeah, it's I've I heard that it is like done. <laughs> now I watched this movie on Shutter, which is like a horror streaming service. Uh, recently, my wife and I we canceled our cable, like a couple of non-tentologists. Finally, I know, Get but seriously, thing. cut cable, the cable sucks, man. dude. It does. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's like it's so much trash mixed in with like a few good things. But I I recently got AMC Plus so we could watch The Walking Dead, and with that came Shutter which is something that I've wanted for a long time because I'm really into horror, but I never really committed. So I, I've seen this movie once a long time ago in Prime, and it really stuck with me, but I couldn't find it again anywhere. It like disappeared from all these streaming services because it had gone to shutter. But I'm going to do you a favor. If you check the show notes, I found a YouTube link of this entire film for free somehow. I don't know. It's in HD. <laughs> it's There's no subscription required. I mean, who knows how long this is going to stay up. So we're going to post that in the show notes. And then if you want to go see The Den, just ding, click the show notes, watch it on YouTube. The entire thing is there. 
Well, good thing I'll I'll uh, I'll get to watch this before our episode releases because once our tens of thousands of listeners swarm to this YouTube link, they're obviously gonna you it's know gonna blow it up, do a copyright infringement, and shut it down. Exactly. With our big fan base. Now, like with most found footage movies, there are moments where you have to suspend your disbelief. So even when being forced to suspend my disbelief in the times where this movie is clearly being a movie, it's still scary because you just know that there's someone out there that knows how to do these things, like hacking webcams or cracking passwords, accessing email. These are all the things that happen in this film that lead up to the events of the film. Those are all the scary things that everyone who uses the internet should be concerned with. And what's scary about this also is that really it's just some asshole needed the idea. I'm sure the things that happen in this film are possible, which is all the more terrifying. And one of the, one of the best things about the filmmaking is all the computer imagery, the background imagery they use is so authentic. You know, there's like there's no like made up browsers or email services. It's not like iMail or searchbot.com or anything, you know, it's all like Google and Apple. That's all over this film. And that makes the existence of the DIN, the social media site in the film, so much scarier because it's all wrapped in realism. And it's kind of like a microcosm of all the shitty things online. Like they, they throw in like Nigerian print scam references and like dick pit pics and stolen nudes, good old fashioned murder. You know, it's like all the, all the things that the internet is known for, you know, like the dark side of the internet. And it's brutal. Like the effects are very well done. They're so well done. And they seem so convincing because kind of the realistic portrayal that there are times when you want to look away because there are parts of this film that are extremely gnarly. What, what was the name of that app that people were using where they would like randomly connect online on a video chat I remember hearing about a lot of penises. I don't think I have, I ever used this. The Den? Are you talking about the Den? Is the Den real? <laughs> there I was know. I mean this was a real thing. I'm going to ask I'm going to ask my wife. She's right in front of me doing homework. Bree, do you remember this Do you remember this app where people would get online and it would just pair you with a random person over video? What was that called? Roulette. Okay, we're going with Roulette. Final answer. Oh, I never heard of that. <laughs> it's probably because I don't like to talk to people face to face. It doesn't sound like something I would have been on. I, I do know people that use this. I mean, it, it, it's it, this already when you as soon as you said that, I was like, this is a totally believable plot. Yeah, one hundred percent. And there are certain parts in this film where, on first viewing, where I really wanted to say, like, as Joe Rogan would say, like, cut the shit when he's watching a movie that really like suspends his disbelief and. The part, the part where that happened, like where they kind of have to abandon reality and kind of go along with basically like grafting cameras on people's heads to be able to continue the narrative. Like that's kind of become a trope in found footage. And I, I let it slide in this film on principle because the story was so riveting by the time that happened. But then at the end, they really nailed the landing. Like it's the the ending of this film is such a perfect commentary on what you the viewer have been doing for the last 90 minutes while you're watching this film and within within this universe the ending completely justifies the cameras everywhere issue that is usually like the big sticking point in found footage like th these cameras were there because they were necessary and it was engineered that way the footage wasn't really found at all 
and I'm not going to go any deeper into it. You'll just have to watch it to see what I mean. But the ending is very good. And any doubts that I had while I was watching the film were completely washed away in like the last two minutes. And I was like, oh, of course. Okay, it totally makes sense now. And that's not, again, not an easy trick to pull off with found footage. So when you say uh, like a camera grafted onto your head, are you talking about like a point of view film filming style? Yeah, like uh, you think about like Cloverfield. At a certain okay. point, you would be like, hey, guy that's filming all this, you know there's a giant like Godzilla destroying the city. Why don't you ditch the camera? Yeah. And that's that's one of the problems with like most found footage. That The idea of found footage starts off where it's just like, oh, yeah, of course everybody has their iPhone. But as soon as you're, you start getting chased by a murderer or something, you would not be filming anymore. But this movie does a very good job of getting around that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see for me, it's easy to like get lost in a story and not, I don't know, I'm pretty easy to please when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I do also think more and more our reaction to something crazy happening is to pull out our phones and start filming. <laughs> like I've seen An- plenty of real video on the internet of crazy shit happening where people should just not, you know, either be jumping into handle the situation or be running away to get away from the situation but instead they're just standing there all in a you know group filming the same thing from like five feet apart i mean that's just the way things are going so it is it's possible i don't know exactly the specifics that you're saying but it is very possible that uh people are just filming things all the time well i think that does hold true right up until one of your friends gets knifed in the stomach or something. I think that's yeah. where most people would stop filming. And I, I in hope a, so. <laughs> in a typical movie, it's like that's when you start getting very specific like framing, you know, and like the camera will fall down and perfectly frame up the action that's happening in the background. Those are the things that this movie handles very well. And one of the most unbelievable things in horror to me has always been like the geographical allowances that need to be made to accept that the killer can be anywhere and everywhere all at once. Like in Friday the 13th, later in the series, they gave Jason what amounts to metaphysical abilities to warp around. You know, they, they it even became like a gameplay element in the uh, 2017 asymmetrical multiplayer game, Friday the 13th. Like you can literally warp around as Jason. And this is a very minor Spoiler alert, it's not really a plot element, it's more of a concept in the film. But this film very cleverly circumnavigates this problem by crowdsourcing its antagonist role. Like, are you you familiar with gang stalking? I I thought you said game stopping. Um, (laughs) Oh, I know you know what that is. Gang stalking. Gang stalking? Uh, I I think, what do you mean? Am I familiar with it? No one's ever stalked me before. I Or they were very good at it, and I didn't know they were stalking me. Well, just like this concept, this is kind of like an internet concept. So gang stalking is an act. It's, it's self-reported by these self-described targeted individuals or TIs claiming that they're being followed or surveilled or harassed or otherwise victimized by unknown forces, sometimes wielding like high-tech weapons of mind control. There's a lot of finger quotes in there. And it's hard to say whether these reports are detailing real-world events or if they are the product of paranoia. And it doesn't help the case against paranoia that these TIs often claim that they're being followed by unmarked surveillance vehicles or that they're being hit hit with uh, extremely low-frequency or ELF weapons or voice-to-skull VTK weapons. Like, in many cases, 
these TIs appear to be like otherwise normal coming from all walks of life and financial backgrounds. But then, you know, they're making claims that their stalkers are neighbors or ex-boyfriends or employers or police, other law enforcement agencies, or like the financial elite, or even less conventional sources like the Freemasons or space aliens. And that all adds to the otherwise uh, the confusing and difficult to get behind premise of gang stalking. But then there are some high profile cases like, you know, the government's like MK Ultra mind control program, which is well documented, documented in a real thing, or the FBI's COINTEL Pro, which was aimed at destabilizing political movements like anti-Vietnam efforts and the Black Panther Party and feminist movements in the 50s and 60s. So there is like some real world precedent for things like gang stalking actually happening. Yeah, for sure. MLK. I mean, he he was like literally harassed by people from the FBI. I think maybe the CIA too. That might have been pre-CIA, but yeah, it's it's tough, man. Because I I I do know what you're talking about, and I think it's usually like I don't know, isn't it uh, some kind of mental disorder usually that paranoid schizophrenia or paranoia? But then it's you know there's always going to be that like one rare case where it's. Uh, kind of like confirmation bias for everybody else because they can point to it and say, well, it did actually happen and there's like irrefutable proof. I've got a rare case that you can actually point to as irrefutable proof if you want to hear about it. I would love to. So there's this bizarre case of eBay's suspiciously and obscurely named Global Security and Resiliency Department, which uh, allegedly... They were leading this concentrated effort against these two bloggers, the Steiners. Uh, they were these bloggers from Boston. They, they tracked trends and policy updates across the internet, which sounds like the most boring thing possible. But tracking trends and policy updates was enough to get eBay's attention. So these bloggers, they wrote that a chief eBay executive's compensation of $18 million was 152 times what the average worker got. And they mildly su suggested that it was coming at the expense of eBay sellers. Then this alleged campaign of intimidation was launched. So eBay hatched this improbable strategy to secretly harass the Steiners and then to offer eBay's assistance in stopping the attacks, winning the Steiners' confidence and manipulating them into favorably covering eBay. They called it the White Knight strategy. So that started with threatening Twitter messages and then it evolved into this parade of disturbing deliveries to their house like they were sent a bloody pig mask with the saying do I have your attention now like written on it and then they were mailed a book called the grief diaries surviving the loss of a spouse and they were sent along with like a funeral reef and then uh, they got fly larva and live spiders a box of cockroaches they had there were copies of the September issue of Hustler, Barely Legal, touting eye-popping 18-year-olds that were sent to the homes of their neighbors with David Steiner's name on it. I mean, if that last one hadn't been sent to their neighbors, you might be able to call that one a favor. But eBay, uh, their employees were caught trying to, well, actually, they, they kind of got like distracted and weren't able to do this, but they were trying to install a GPS device on the Steiner's car. And then they couldn't, they just couldn't get in there without getting caught. So they took to following these guys around all over town and they gave up their pursuit when they heard on a police scanner that the Steiners reported they were being followed. 
And this is all allegedly. But eventually, like, the FBI got involved, and uh, this eBay executive that was leading the stalking ring, uh, he was taken down. Like, a lot of his, like, underlings were taken down. And then charges were filed in June 2020, and the defendants are still awaiting trial. But the point is that this is ridiculous, and these convoluted conspiracies have actually happened. Like, that is... It's basically, like a real world version of gang stalking for about like the most mundane and ridiculous reason you could ever imagine. So you're saying, so these bloggers just accused the CEO on, uh, these are some people I've never heard of on some blog that I've never heard of saying the CEO is overpaid. (laughs) Which Which aren't they all? (laughs) Is that news? And, And, that all of that was, I mean, that, that is like some serious harassment. That is unbelievable. That's hard to believe, man. That is, I can't, I'm going to look into that further for sure. I mean, I believe it, but it just also is like, what world do we live in that that kind of stuff happens? Yeah, it's crazy. I've got some links for that story that I'll share in the show notes too. So you can, uh, you and all the listeners can go check that out. But like another real life example will be Scientology. Like Scientology has a sanctioned action known as fair game where like naysayers about uh, the church are targeted with similar tactics. Again, allegedly. I have seen that. No. In case any Scientologists I, are listening. I've I've seen the videos of that when like a um, former member leaves the church and will like show up somewhere and there'll just be these like two people that follow them and berate them. I think I saw a, a Scientology documentary that had video of this and it was like pretty hard to watch. It was pretty brutal. Yeah, it's crazy when you have a group like this weird eBay group or, you know, Scientology where you have like a power structure that makes it possible for you to like give these orders and have people like, oh, well, this is just my job. Like this is what, you know, this is what I'm doing today. And, you know, when you have a group like that, it's it seems like it wouldn't be that hard to get people just completely invested in this idea of ruining people's lives. And it's scary that you could coordinate something like that. Yeah, for sure. That is wild. So what do you, uh, how like internet secure do you feel like, do you have, do you do anything like tape your laptop or your phone camera and plug your webcams or anything when you're not using them? Um, I used to. Um, I don't know. My understanding with my laptop is that the light that is green right now is hardwired into the camera. So I, in theory, should know that the light is always on. I mean, I, I do, uh, have an awareness of how unsecure we all are. Um, I am pretty responsible with my passwords. They're all like, uh, randomly generated. They're like 18 to 26 characters long. Um, I mean, they're ridiculous, you know, and that's because like, I realized that internet security, I mean, it's, we are way behind the power curve on that. And there's been some pretty high profile hacks recently, uh, from different countries. And I mean, there's, there's powerful tools out there that can just fall into the hands of just individuals too. I mean, it doesn't have to be like a team of North Koreans. Like it could just be one person with bad intentions, that could take down like an entire power grid or take all of your money um, or, you know, mess with your identity. I mean, it's, it's something I'm concerned about, but I try not to live in fear for sure. Yeah, of course it, it is. 
it's crazy how much like this connected world we live in is like a double-edged sword because at this point it's hard to imagine living without it because so much of what we do and the things that we love all involve being connected to the internet but i saw i saw a picture of mark zuckerberg's computer with the camera taped up and i thought there's one thing Mark Zuckerberg knows, it's how to get information out of us. So if he tapes up yeah. his camera, it's probably because he knows how to activate these cameras. So now like just I just tape up cameras, I unplug webcams when I'm not using them because it's like such a simple thing and it doesn't hurt. And you know, it's I feel like I'm probably completely oblivious to the hundreds of other ways that are better and easier ways to gather information on me, but that's something that like I feel like that is just good internet security, especially if like an external webcam, just unplug it. There's no reason yeah. that it should be plugged in if you're not using it. But I found For this sure. article, uh-huh. which is probably the most clickbait title I've ever seen. It says, taping your laptop camera may do more harm than good. It's off of uh, Aorus.com, world's most uh, <laughs> poorly titled website. But this article claims that it was revealed in 2020 that Zoom has been able to activate cameras without the user's permission, which is scary. But the the more harm than good claim that was that, <laughs> so stupid, that tape could smudge up your lens or cause sensors to not work properly when adjusting auto exposure. Oh my gosh. And I think when weighing that against the possibility of Zoom activating my camera, recording yeah. me while I'm researching pornography for my upcoming episode on pornography... <laughs> it kind of makes me doubt that this article's author knows the meaning of the phrase more harm than good. There's sticky residue on my camera. <laughs> what am I what am I to do? Wow. But um the have you seen the uh have you seen the Black Mirror episode dance for me? I I think I've seen all of them. Uh remind me though, it's not So it's so not dance for me bell. is the episode where it's like the kid is like surfing the internet at the beginning, and then he starts oh, getting God. these. I know exactly emails. what you're talking about with the uh, the drone. The yes, drone he starts one. getting oh emails that like say like says like go to this address, deliver this yep. package, and then he I starts getting like sucked deeper and deeper in until eventually it's like yeah, the drone he, like, is flying pits, over. Pits and, two guys against each other, and he's like live streaming it on the internet. Dude, yes, I love and, I love Black Mirror. It's such a good one. It's so good. And what's scary about Black Mirror is how how possible everything seems. That was the first time where I was like, you know what? It probably is a good idea to just tape your laptop camera up. Yeah. And, and it's so weird how, you know, just like entertainment, like plant these ideas in your mind. And that's something yeah. that, you know, that and then researching it in real life and seeing like, you know, like the Edward Snowden film. Yeah. Talking about how there are these like government sanctioned programs that do exactly this, like turn on laptop cameras, turn on microphones, can access email. And it's hard but to it, say how much of that is fact because I'm not a computer scientist, but it all seems very plausible. Well, okay. So I do want to talk about Snowden a little bit since you brought it up. Um, I am in the camp that like what he did was like very, very good for citizens. I mean, we needed a whistleblower about this. Agreed. What's interesting about this is I there, my understanding is that the biggest danger in government or like, like high level surveillance is not that they could, you know, there, there's one thing of like 
an invasion of privacy in your home with a camera being on. Um, that's obviously very disturbing. But when it comes to like a state surveillance or that, um, you know, that larger bureaucracy surveilling their citizens, it's less about listening to what you're saying on the phone or seeing what's happening in your house. And it's more about collecting metadata. So it is about tracking your movements. It's not about what you said on the phone call. It's about who you called, how often you called, and they can actually discern more information from gathering large amounts of data and then running it through some sort of algorithm or some sort of processor that they can figure out, you know, exactly uh, how you spend your time, where you spend your time. And advertisers are already doing this with metadata. I mean, they're building, you know, we've talked about this before. They're building really accurate behavioral models of actual individuals, not just like your, oh yeah, this uh, millennial male, he's probably going to buy this. Like, no, they can actually researching pornography (laughs) again for his podcast. I mean, this is like exactly what Facebook and Instagram and for sure, pretty much all social media does. It's like, it's its primary function and business model. Right. But I mean, we're crazy if we think, you know, if we like I mean, it's, it's one thing, if you want to ignore that the NSA is probably collecting huge amounts of data on its citizens, you know, all of us, um, I mean, that's, you can, you can ignore it if you want to, if it makes you feel better, but like, I guarantee it's happening. Like somebody told us it's happening that had, uh, insiders information. They had to run away to Russia (laughs) to like escape our government. And I mean, he's brought forth, you know, basically irrefutable proof that this has been going on and we've seen, I mean, we, we watched the laws get signed into effect that allowed the government to do this post nine 11. You know, we watched this happen. We voted for it apparently. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, have you heard his interviews with Joe Rogan? I have, I have. Yeah. I've, I've heard actually quite a few, uh, Snowden interviews for sure. Extremely credible. I mean, he definitely knows what he's talking about. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I mean, it's really a, a shame that he's been defamed the way he has. And I mean, would you expect anything less, though? No, I, mean, that's I wouldn't. The propaganda machine, like, the wheels are always turning, for sure. And I feel like, you know, those policies that allowed all this data collection to happen, I feel like the government was just looking for a reason. You know, th- those things were queued up and ready to go. You know, they, oh, yeah. they want to be able to gather that information on us. And it was just, you know, an excuse like 9-11 that made it possible. And it's, you know, one of the scariest things is like when you give up freedom, you never get it back. The That's best exactly that we right. can do now is just understand that those things are happening. And totally. I, don't, I don't think the government has any interest in even like anyone committing mid-level crimes. I am of the... I'm of the thought that, you know, those systems exist because they truly do want to stop the next terrorist attack or the next, you know, attack against the homeland. But it's the fact that that exists now, it wouldn't take much for someone with nefarious means and thoughts to go in and, you know, just use it for their own purposes. Right. I mean, that's the that's the thing. You know, the road to hell is paved with the best of intentions or whatever the saying is i mean what is you know what is preventing a fascist dictator to rise to power in the united states where you have this um this network of surveillance in place and they want to 
all of a sudden utilize this network of surveillance to find blackmail on their political enemies. I mean, this, this might have already happened. Like, there's obviously not a lot of checks and balances that are in place to prevent this from happening. I mean, we, for God's sakes, it's only been a couple of months since there was literally throngs of people uh, committing acts of violence at the Capitol building, for God's sake. So, I mean, it's, it is not like a tool that uh, I want any government to have, no matter, you know, in Switzerland. I don't want Switzerland to have these kinds of tools, let alone the United States. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's it, it, like you said, the only thing we can do is be aware and try to, like, you know, vote with the dollar, vote with our votes. Um, I mean, it's one of the reasons I support Apple personally. I mean, I think that they have really showed as a company to respect um, their customers' privacy. I mean, they have been, you know, it pulled into these public debates over and over again with the government, with the FBI, and, you know, they're kind of defamed publicly and being told, you need to build a back door. There's, you know, this terrorist, to do it. this terrorist has an iPhone. You need to build a back door into your programming so that we can have access to, you know, we can crack this iPhone. And Apple has staunchly and repeatedly refused to do it. And it's, it's not it's not like they support terrorism. They just believe that our you know the their customers' privacy is paramount. They have to like stick to their guns. And I, I mean it's a really interesting debate, but I totally side with Apple on this and it makes me like you know, trust their products. Like, yeah, of course they've had like leaks and mistakes and bugs, but their point is valid. You build a backdoor to any software for the good guys, the bad guys will get through that backdoor as well. I mean that's you know, and once that backdoor exists, the good guys could use it for whatever. I mean, how how do we know they're good? Exactly. Right. You know, and uh-huh. I think it's that's totally the right move to not do that. And, you know, it's kind of like it's not Apple's job to solve this crime right. because right. the criminals used one of their products. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's always interesting when you hear, you know, I think this... The specific example I remember was that shooting in California that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously it was uh, ex- religious extremism motivated. And uh, um, I, from what I could gather, if I remember correctly, they think that the FBI already had hacked the phone. Like, they have some ways to, to like, unlock iPhones. Um, but they still were trying to use this as, like, a political leverage tool to just like bring up this debate again in the public because if they just keep chipping away, like maybe one day public uh, public perception or public opinion will will shift just like it did post 9-11. I mean, who, there was like one person that voted against the Patriot Act. Um, it was like a democratic- What a one, deceptive title. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was, it was, it was almost a unanimous vote um, and there's a great yeah, radio. You don't want to be accused of this. not being a patriot. Well, there was there was one Democrat that voted against it, and uh, there's a really good uh, podcast episode about that. I'll have to I'll have to seek that out. But yeah, I mean, it's this is scary stuff, man. You've got me all worked up about it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back to this movie. Okay. All right. So this movie, The Den, it is a mean, very nasty movie. It's very brutal and explicit. I've often thought about like why I like movies like this. I don't want to see things like this or any horror movie 
type scenario to ever happen in the real world. Like I hope I go my whole life without ever having anything horror cal- caliber happen to me. So why do I like movies like this? I think part of it is the effects. I like the artistry that goes into making something that's so squeamish that it triggers the part of my brain that makes me want to look away. I think that's very, very awesome and impressive. And, uh, you know, it could be like the writer's ability to craft these scenarios. But I think a big part of it is empathy. Like I can really place myself mentally into these content scenarios. And with horror, I always imagine myself on the victim side. It's not because I see myself as a victim, but it's because I see myself as you know, normal or relatively normal and normal people are the victims in these films. And the scariest scenarios I can imagine are like the frog and boiling water scenarios where you don't even realize that the, that there's danger until it's way too late. It's kind of like the movie, the decline where we talked about it being like mm, uh, yeah. frog and boiling water, which if uh, you haven't listened to the episode about the, the decline, go back and listen to that and also watch that movie. Cause it's very great. It's great. And, most of the most of the great horror films, in my opinion, uh, at least the ones I love, portray these scenarios that lull you in until you're like too deep before they kind of spring the trap on you. And that's the kind of thing that I hope that I, I would be able to see in the real world coming my way. So in a way, these movies are kind of like a form of mental training, like maybe a way to help me spot slasher film scenarios that are headed my way in the real world. Or maybe it's just like this deep-seated desire in my brain to try to manufacture like a final girl adventure in my life you know like in a horror movie how there's always the one final girl that survives she's like the virgin yeah she's like (laughs) right seriously i don't want that to happen don't try to gang stalk me in some (laughs) twisted attempt to connect with me on a closer level brett (laughs) (laughs) there's actually one thing i hope that this show does not bring into my life along with all the fame and fortune that it has already bestowed is a Mark David Chapman slash John Lennon relationship. It's not what I'm looking for here, people. (laughs) But what I'm saying is that I'm all right with horror staying on my screen. And yes, the precision that this film unfolds with may be a bit unrealistic. And yes, the antagonists, their methods may border on superhuman at some point. Or maybe they aren't. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's really possible with online security. And I, I don't know every time I'm vulnerable. But that's what's so scary about it. Like it unfolds, as it unfolds, you kind of buy into the hacker's ability to compromise systems. It all seems very plausible and plausibility is what makes great horror in my book. So the din is very good. It's terrifying. It makes you want to look over your shoulder anytime you're doing something online and it makes you question your own vulnerabilities when it comes to identity protection. And it makes you kind of question your own voyeuristic tendencies it's basically internet terror taken to the very worst level. It's very good. Do yourself a favor, Brett. Watch it alone and watch it on your laptop. YouTube link in the show notes. All right. Well, you can probably see what I'm doing right now. I'm covering the camera. <laughs> covering your webcam. <laughs> That's it. That's it for me. I'm uh, only going to be uh, audio on Zoom from here on out. I've got all the information I would need to find you and bring a little bit of horror adventure into your life, Brett. <laughs> That's true. If I was so inclined. Oh boy, I can't imagine if that was your intention how scary that would be. This this podcast has just been a long con this whole time. <laughs> oh god. The the scene behind you just drops away and you're seated outside my airstream that was just a <laughs> cardboard prop. Yes. <laughs> That's my Zoom background. Uh well, I absolutely loved that. I I think I'm going to go watch it tonight. I, uh, it's very good. 
I, I need to be scared every once in a while, even more so than I already am. Just that. And you live in fear. You have I a do. fear journal. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I have like a, just a, always an undercurrent, just sort of like this background <laughs> radiation of anxiety. But, uh, you know, it's good to like have fear spikes every once in a while because it's just, you know, you got to exercise your adrenal glands and all that. I think that's so. part of why horror is popular because, you know, in our modern world, honestly, most of the fear has been engineered out of it. And yeah, we've talked about this with action sports too. Like you, yeah. you have you have to milk the adrenal glands. Totally, so. you can milk anything with an <laughs> adrenal gland. But yeah, it's like you know a lot of the fear that we feel in our normal life. It is more like anxiety, or it's like a low level fear while you're driving because you understand that there's like this, there like these mortal consequences if you mess it up. But all of that is like it's very suppressed by our modern world. And I think that it is the reason why action sports are popular. It's the reason why horror is popular because it like it spikes this like primal sensation in your brain. And it's something that I think that like humans are hardwired to need those spikes because it's what kept our ancestors alive millions of years ago. If you believe in such a thing, I don't know. You're more of a 6,000 year old earth kind of guy, right? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, you know, have you, when you um, when you were like a a long time ago, uh, just started driving, and you were in like a your neighborhood late at night, and you kind of knew the roads really well. Did you ever used to play the game where you'd close your eyes and see how long you could drive with your eyes closed? <laughs> no, Brett, <laughs> Me I didn't have a death wish whenever <laughs> I was seventeen. Me neither. Well, thanks for bringing that. I can't wait to check out The Den. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us uh, once again, another week on the Content Clearinghouse. Uh, Check out our Instagram. Check out our Facebook page. Both of them are at the Content Clearinghouse. You can email us just like DV did. Thank you, DV. We we might read your email on the air. It's uh, contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We also have a Discord link in the show notes we also have a website cchpod.com we will see you next week for some more awesome content